0: In more than 120 countries, Sequent is evolving the way civil engineering organizations work through better subsurface understanding. With our trusted software for analyzing and modeling the subsurface, engineering consultants, constructors and owner-operators find solutions to their challenges and make smarter, faster and more sustainable decisions. As the Bentley Subsurface Company, Sequent connects the built world above ground with a hidden world below. Together, we are helping build a more resilient future.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective from New Civil Engineer. I'm Assistant News Editor of New Civil Engineer, Rob Hakemian, and today we will be talking about new approaches to rainwater management, specifically around using innovative blue-green infrastructure to harvest it, hold it, and reuse it. With the population increasing and droughts becoming commonplace, but with climate change resulting in more intense rainfall events, there is a need for us to be smarter around using water going forward. This will not only allow us to mitigate flood risk, but also add new water resources too. But to do that, we need innovative solutions and culture change. To discuss this important topic with us today, we have two special guests, and they are Charlotte Markey, who is Green Urbanization Innovation Manager at Polypipe, and John Griffiths, National Account Manager at Environmental Data Management Solutions Company, KISTERS. Charlotte has been working in the green infrastructure and water management industry for years, during which she has been involved in several European-funded innovation projects and smart city pilot projects. She is also currently working towards a PhD at Exeter University, where her main research focuses the integration of smart technologies into nature-based solutions. John is a trained meteorologist with a background in installing weather instrumentation in extreme locations such as Antarctica and the Himalayas. In the last 10 years, John has been a weather forecaster specialising in media and roads, before moving to Kistas in 2018, where he has used the company's advanced software tools to lead developments in smart asset control. Welcome to the Engineers Collective, both of you. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having us. Nice to have you. So although I've already outlined some of the challenges, I'd like you both to expand on that. So why don't we start by you telling us why we need a new approach to rainwater management and what are the risks if we don't change what we do?
2: Yeah, so I, I don't mind uh, starting with that. So yeah basically why a lot of change is now needed is because the climate is changing and, and the world we know it is changing through kind of increased population um, for climate change, and yeah this is you know one of, this is part of my background here uh, and, and where I've come from is uh, due to kind of the the world kind of heating up, effectively, the air's able to hold a little bit more moisture, and that means kind of heavier rainfall events. Um, but it also means kind of, especially for the UK and kind of northern European areas, we're seeing kind of longer droughts and then like heavy rainfall events. So although and this kind of can get confusing here, and it's, it's something worth clearing up really, really early on, uh, because you will re- read these reports and it will say it's getting wetter, hotter and drier, and you think, well, how can it be all? Well, basically, as we seen in the past what, what would usually happen is we'd get rainfall in kind of more like this month although this has been a particularly wet month at the moment so just so whenever you're listening to this is August uh, it's been a horrendous July in 23 but it was really sunny in June and this is the problem so it's getting kind of more unpredictable the weather so what we'd usually see as standard is standard is no longer standard. Um, we see when rainfall comes instead of it being spread perhaps over a couple of days it's a really heavy burst or heavy large amounts of precipitation and it's just infrastructure that we've not not it's just not built that way we've we've not had this weather before effectively it is changing and we need to be better kind of able to deal with it so yeah so we've got heavy rainfall coming and then once that heavy rainfall has gone which basically potentially surcharges into our sewers and to our rivers. Then then we've got the next problem, which is basically then potentially we don't see any rain turning back up again. So now we potentially get droughts. So this is this is what is facing kind of the UK currently, especially in cities where like water immediately hits tarmac and goes straight into sewers. Um more in more rural areas you'll you'll hear this about as well because all the combined sewer overflows and things like that is a big problem some of the problem is caused by the fact that the water's uh, just going these heavy downpours are hitting fields and arable areas and and taking off all that kind of nutrients stripping it straight from the fields and putting it straight into the rivers which is also causing a bit of issue as well so there's issue across the chain and that's just because yeah our climate's changing the weather patterns are changing and basically we need to update yeah. So there, there, there we go. That's a probably a good a, a good start point. Is the fact that our weather is changing, and perhaps our infrastructure has not been built for this change of uh, weather.
1: Charlotte, should I? Do you want to add anything, or should I go on?
3: No, I think I'd echo what John says, and and from my perspective, obviously working for a manufacturer, I'm working with with John and the and the sort of digital um, innovation side. I think what it's a point well made is that we are experiencing climate change, and actually resilience and a lot of the strategic objectives we have from central government and sort of global moves towards changing the way our urban environment is is configured for want of a better phrase we have to start thinking about how we both retrofit and create new spaces and places that are fit for function and fit for purpose with climate change in mind and actually we we're sort of at a point now where we know what needs to be done, but it's actually those, those cyber physical products and services and um, how we bring that to the manufacturing, the engineering, the landscape architecture industries as a collective that we can meet that challenge. And that's what really interests me um, in the space that I work.
1: One of the areas that you work in, or maybe the main area that you work in, is work, is blue green infrastructure. Uh, for the people who aren't familiar with the term, can you explain what blue green infrastructure is?
3: Well I'm happy to take um this one first. And for me, uh blue green infrastructure is, is, is quite um it can be a bit of a nebulous sort of umbrella term that we might use um to describe our watercourses, waterways, sustainable urban drainage, including vegetation. This can be in an urban space, peri-urban space, or indeed, in in more naturalistic environments. But basically, it is it is the landscape and our watercourses, whether it's constructed or natural, um, that we find in our in our urban and non-urban environments. For me, I like to also use the term urban nature-based solution because that's really the space in which I I have my main focus and by this I mean those green-blue infrastructure and nature-based assets that we find in our urban environment, everything from green-blue roofs to tree pits in the hard landscape to rain gardens and for me that's where we can get our, our sort of highest level of multifunctionality if we're working with landscape architects and engineers because we don't really have the space to have more what i would call um lower engineered solutions because we just can't get the buy-in from stakeholders to have you know vast swathes of green space in city spaces that are already constructed i mean when we're talking about places in saudi like neom and some of these new cities we can actually allocate the space but if we're talking about the uk we're a small island we've got a lot of built-up areas for me, urban nature-based solutions are a, a larger opportunity area that we can exploit um, for resilience. So I hope that sort of opens up that debate a bit more. Yes, yeah, uh,
2: that's 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 pretty nice uh, kind of summary there. So for, so from my side, yeah, these 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 solutions uh, are multi purposed effectively. Uh, the, the first thing is sh- straight up. Yeah, they they offer a, a green space in the city, so they bring back wildlife, uh, which is fantastic, and they clean the air and they actually cool down the city as well so if the sun's hitting that it it you know reduces the heat of the city which is which is massive it's also obviously sinking carbon there as well so that's also great um from my side it's uh the 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 climate again going back to that just just because that's my background is well the first thing is yeah they can so these these kind of green patches they'll absorb way more water than obviously a concrete um plinth or whatever so that holds and slows up the water going into sewers or rivers potentially cleans it a bit as well uh depending on what you've got in there um and we've also got to be a bit careful with that water quality as well because some of it's really toxic some of the stuff that comes off our roads and our streets so that's that's uh, that's perhaps another question for later uh but but on this one we've, we've got a lot of these tanks all across our city already not all of them are green um but effectively with kind of a, a slightly smarter control on these uh, tanks, uh, and and not a huge amount more infrastructure, we can basically control the water within these tanks, and that's where it starts to get kind of more interesting uh, in the fact that we can basically redistribute water to say a river or a sewer as needed, or hold it back from a river or a sewer. And you know, in a in a kind of larger scale, you you have a little bit of that already with say the Thames Barrier, and you know how that works is it releases a lot of the water. Uh, from the river uh, when it's high uh, and then it locks it so when the sea comes back in it it, you know you can basically build a a natural reservoir for that water coming out of the Thames and that kind of helps prevent flooding but effectively you can kind of do a similar thing with these tanks all across the city then you can control quite large amounts of water um, and you've got far better chance to be more resilient to uh, first off flooding but then like if you can hold it back or reuse it then in droughts when we're kind of short on water or we need you know we can potentially avoid hose pipe vans because we can redistribute some of this water so uh, climate change these these tanks are are pretty critical to have in and and yeah and the other point to make is you know uh, we we are not the first here to to kind of do this technology it is about um and other you know it's it's worth noting that other countries are pushing this forward or pushing similar kind of schemes forward because they've also got to deal with it and some of them are a little bit I would say further ahead in terms of their either, uh, if we take, say, Spain, or those kind of countries, they're, they're very, very dry, so they really care in making sure every last drop gets to where it needs to be. There's no leakage and things like that. That's very, really important for them. Um, but in the Netherlands, like they're all about f- flood response because they've got a lot of water and potentially it's all trying to seep into the cities and things like that. So their kind of optimization around these solutions and ability to control assets, which they have pumps, weirs, dams, that a lot of that is actually already in place in the Netherlands. So these optimization solutions do exist and they are in kind of working order elsewhere.
1: Right. Yeah, that, that actually brings me on to my next question, which was going to be about, you know, obviously the UK is not the only country that has to grapple with these issues. And you mentioned Spain and Netherlands and what they're doing. Are there any other countries you would highlight as being ahead of the game on, on this kind of infrastructure and what makes it stand out as good practice?
3: Oh, um I can take this one um from my perspective and then obviously John, you know, with Kisters, they've got a huge global um outreach. So I guess at um at Polypipe we have quite a few um collaborators globally, so we have a Middle East team, and what makes it really exciting I think is also our work with um people like the Sports Turf Research Institute looking at innovations around passive irrigation and smart water reuse in different climatic conditions. So resilience can mean different things in different hemispheres and different, different continents. So it's pooling all that, all that knowledge base together. I think for me some of the most exciting work at the moment is being done in the Middle East. So I reference NEOM at the moment in Saudi. And there's a really interesting movement towards what we call the cognitive city. So by this, it, it's taking things on a step beyond smart. And, and this really plugs into what Kistas do as well. So it's about infrastructure, whether it's green, blue or grey, that is intuitive, that still has that human in the loop intervention. So we're not just saying that, you know, computers and tech can do everything for us. But this is not just gathering data for data's sake. And I think we we, we sometimes think of smart cities and smart water as a little bit sort of technocratic There's not much human involvement in it. But when we talk about cognitive cities and cognitive nature-based solutions, a new, new term we could potentially be using, are where we're using sensors, technologies, weather data, predictive analytics, but we're also really using that deep learning and that AI to actually inform how we then respond to that climate change and, and how we actually optimise that resilience of those assets. And this has to be done at scale. So they recognise this in the Middle East, that all those data sets have to be pulled together and all stakeholders have to be involved. And that city has to be planned with that with that emphasis, that, that this decision-making, this data has to be fit for purpose. And that doesn't mean using every data set available, but it means having those pertinent metrics and plugging them in together and I think the biggest challenges we face over here in the UK is that we don't manage data as well as we could across different stakeholders Um, and I'll I'll pass it over to John because he's probably got far more uh, insightful thoughts on that than I do.
2: Thanks Charlotte that is it is a massively tricky one in the UK and uh, and I hear it from yeah quite a lot of places in in, so going home first one of our uh, kind of I think where we're a little bit poor is um, centralizing data um, and then being able to share it between different parties. And, and I start here and I'll go back to the other countries in a minute because that fundamentally tells you like what is happening. So let's let's, let's start at the very base. Like, let's say it's sensors. The first thing is we need sensors everywhere to kind of understand actually what's happening. So we're not in the dark. And there are a lot of sensors out there at the moment, but there's a not much communication between the different groups. Um, so they might hold on to their own sensors. Um, and unless there's a that f- now there are always a couple of special people in this industry um, pushing the collaboration, but there probably needs to be a higher up push that um, the different stakeholders, water utility to local authority, there's a far better connect up with data. It, it's just at the moment it's it's kind of crazy that it's a the e distribute. The well, the Environment Agencies or NRWC, but distribute some of that data, which is good. Um, but sometimes it's difficult to get hold of. Looks it, that is getting better. The local authority has data, but they've got no idea how to share that back potentially to uh, to the EA or or to a utility. And the utility at the moment is kind of their own beast, and they tend not to share too much. I know that's a general sweeping statements and it's not always the case, Um, but basically there needs to be far better connection of kind of data sharing between these groups uh, firstly, so we can build up a bigger picture of actually what's happening. Um, And then from that, then you can start making decisions about what's the the best way to solve the problems. Is it blue infrastructure or is it, uh, you know, a canal? So as we start to see this here and there, like these little optimization projects uh, in the UK. So we are getting there, I'd say. a little too slowly really um we should be i mean we should really be pushing this we've got a we've got a great infrastructure industry and in, in you know for this so we should really be a little bit further forward um but um yeah if we look around then realistically if, if i look to netherlands really just across across the little channel there they are really really pushing say a lot of optimization so they and what i mean by this is they, they I kind of mentioned it earlier but they have Really, like in little towns, pumps, weirs, dams, everything to basically rework water uh, uh, around a town. And when we start optimizing those solutions, so we're kind of working out what's the best way we can pump or redistribute the water with like rain data and for uh, with run of river electric power and things like that. So they've got all that there. Uh, we, once it's optimized, we, we're seeing quite high levels of reduction of like surface water so it, we've got case studies of you know just an optimised solution in a town reducing say surface water by 30 centimetres that doesn't sound like much but 30 centimetres <laughs> is quite a bit of water and if we can prevent that happening completely by just a better distribution of water around a the town then you know that that's that's that could be massive in the UK so yeah it does happen there um, again in Spain they're all about leak detection and uh, for any of the water utilities listening to that I'd I'd have a good look about what some of these other countries are doing to to resolve that um because they are quite and I know we're doing it as well but they're they're really they've been really on it early because they've they've really needed the water the Middle East Charlotte's mentioned which is which is brilliant and and the last one just just so you say like just so it's really happening globally like we get places like India who now open optimizing say their river basins uh in the river Ganges and things like that so different reservoirs how they're going to work together so everybody's kind of looking at their assets and being able to uh optimize them i guess or make them kind of work better together which is really important for the uk with the technologies there and we'd have some tanks but at the moment probably we don't have enough assets or we don't have enough controllable assets and what i mean that is yeah the asset is kind of working in the fact it slows water back to the rivers or sewers but we can't actually do anything There's, there's no control on that there's no Hey, let's hold the water back for a, you know, for a drought, or or let's push a bit more water over to stop surcharging. Like there's none of there's not enough of that in the UK. Right
3: I think now. just to add to that, I think there's also the issue in the UK compared to other countries about the scale of ambition, and and also the short termism of investment cycles with utility company, and then obviously you've got the politics of it all. So. For me, you know, we we do quite a few funding bids. We work on pilot projects, and utility companies they want to to implement sort of smarter solutions, more nature based solutions. They want to connect the green infrastructure with their deep tanks and and deep pipe uh, deep pipes. But the thing is that there's such a short term cycle and a, a short opportunity window. It's it's for them the challenge of changing their internal processes and getting their house in order. To, to get that deep collaboration with other companies and other solution providers to test the concept, to roll it out, to to normalise the innovation. So it's that whole technology acceptance from start to finish that's not helped by those kind of higher level processes that, that are a bit challenging. Yeah.
1: So while there is encouragement overseas, you've both outlined several barriers that we have here in the UK. But uh there are some projects that are leading the way in the UK, getting around these barriers. I believe both of you are involved in one in Manchester on a rooftop, a retrofit. Uh, can you tell me about that project and and what was the driver for it and what were the obstacles? Oh, uh, um, uh, do you want to, do? Would you like to start here, Charlotte,
2: or I, um... I can
3: briefly introduce it, and then obviously you are you are the technical brains behind the operation. Go John. for it. Go for it. But um, I so I suppose so. So broadly speaking. Um, At Polypipe, we we have traditionally um, tried to link up our civil solutions with green-blue infrastructure offers, including green-blue roofs. So we we have a a physical system called permavoid, which is a sub base replacement that we use now under nature-based solutions. So they are the supporting artificial reservoir of water beneath a vegetated roof, tree pit, rain garden. So we had our green-blue roof system. We had the passive irrigation technology where we can store water and that is... um, enabling a green-blue roof to have sort of three to four weeks of water on tap. So the vegetation with the right soil spec and geotextiles and geomembranes with the right build-up, that is a more resilient roof system in a physical sense. And then obviously we we started thinking, well, how can we optimise this and make it smart? And this is where our partnership with Kistas has has come in over the past few years. So between us, obviously, we, we wanted a pilot scheme and luckily there was a forward-thinking ecosystem in manchester where they have very ambitious objectives um, the greater manchester combined authority are really into both digital um, innovation they have a digital strategy for manchester but also very ambitious green blue infrastructure targets which is helped by some of their innovation and collaboration frameworks such as project ignition which brings together academia private public stakeholders and we were lucky enough to work with Bruntwood, who are a large stakeholder in Manchester. They own the building, the block building, which is an innovative workspace in the city centre. So that just gives you a bit of context. And John, um, do you want to sort of explain how the how we delivered the project?
2: Right. Yeah, sure. It's, it's a really interesting, again, it always requires... And I hope there's some these people listening and and please always push a collaboration and also the, the big approach I mean it had some amazing people throughout this project to make it happen and that clues from the water utility and from block um to to, to get it going so without those people firstly it, it isn't going to happen so they were like champions in their area and and if they weren't there then there's you know we would have been still waiting around for this so it's or it would have been a much harder uh, thing to get in so uh, thankfully you've got to have some reception to, to innovation so that that was a, that's the firstly the, the good start that we have and we, we' begin to be better in that in the UK around that kind of area so that that's great um, so from our side it was, it was so from me particularly it's it's been a labor of love for like probably five or six years now because um, so I started as like from the weather side, uh, and I, as, as you read out at the start, like I can see some of Kista's technology and I I really wanted to see what this technology and this weather could do uh, and where it could go. And through conversations had in had in London with the head of GLA back then, uh, you know, they were like, well, we, we've got these tanks. It'd be great if we could have some reuse of water or redistributing water. And, and effectively that's that's how it all got started. And that introduces us to partners like EPG and Polypipe. Um, and within that kind of group, we collaborated together to, to kind of come up with a solution that could deal with this, a, a lot of the issues that we've been mentioning, like holding up water, redistributing it a better right, be better for droughts. Like, and how could we do that? So firstly, obviously, is, and this is how the, the block roof works, like uh, Polypipe provide the, the infrastructure there. So that's the, the perma void tank uh, and all the membranes as Charlotte was talking and the valve in fact which is all important and like in this case EPG are going to be providing the kind of uh sensors and some of the architecture for this design um and the plumbing so they it so there's a couple things here so firstly once that tank is is on the roof that roof is like really weight restricted so it is we had to work through very fine tolerances here it's like one of the like the worst places you could have picked to try and put this in that's where it is going in because all the tolerances are so fine um so we had to use the very thin permanent avoid layer which usually would not have enough water in it to support the life uh, above it or the green roof above it especially on top of like a high roof because of the winds and all those kind of factors actually wicks off a lot of the water and it can be very dry up there um so actually often those kind of green roofs die off really quickly unless you're hosing them down with lots of water. So firstly, the, the, the tank goes in on a kind of a, a waterproof roof and then we have like overflow, so like emergency overflow. So whatever happens, if it went wrong, it just acts like a, a normal roof. And then it'll have one kind of main outlet. And that's basically what we want to control. We wanna control the water out through through that. So to control, to, to control that, we've got a kind of a valve in there and that's connected to a logger and the logger is connected to like level sensors and potentially moisture sensors and rain gauge sensors and a flow meter. So we know what's happening on the tank effectively. So that logger now goes back to the Kisters cloud and say, hey, this is kind of what's happening in the tank. This is the water level. Um, what would you like to do? And the Kisters uh, cloud, in this case, our optimization solution is going to look at, say, what rainfall is expected, the probability of that kind of rainfall uh, turning up. And then it's going to uh, over the next kind of 12, 24 hours, and then it's going to work out, should it keep that water in there or should it redistribute it? Um, now, in this case, it's not connected to anything, but it's built to connect to things, so like sewers and, uh, and rivers, that's what it wants to be connected, it needs more information effectively. But at the moment, it's a lonely tank. So, but even still with this lonely tank, so we know, say, what rainfall is coming in, we know, say, there's, I don't know, 60% of the tank is full with water, And we think, hey, we can actually absorb that rainfall uh, onto the roof uh, without needing to discharge. That potentially is something that we would like to do. Um, Or we might go, that's too much rainfall for this tank. So we'll drain down to maybe 30% to absorb that rainfall. And what we want to do is discharge that water way, 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 way before that event happens. Now, at the moment, that's all we can do because it's not connected to multiple things. And why that's important is because... Later down the line, what you don't want to do is drain that water all across Manchester. Say let's drain all the water there; it all goes down the river. At the same time, the rainfall from the is is inbound across another city, so they get all the surcharge from Manchester and the rainfall, and they're trying to discharge their own tanks, say if they've got them. And then you've now got a build up of water somewhere else. So these systems have to, you know, have a lot of information. This is why I go back to the sensors. So the tank is good; tank's great it works really well so it holds up water during the summertime so it's pretty it's fairly drought resistant which we've seen already so we've got great results from that um and in winter it basically drains down to kind of redistribute water so there's less surcharging to our rivers or um onto the sewer network which is great that's exactly what it needs to do Um, there's just one of them so there's a limited effect that it has um and with more of them then that's when it really really now needs to be starting to connect up so i must push very hard here that the tank is a great thing and it, it does a good job but you need lots of them um to basically control the water or, or have kind of a, a very meaningful effect around
1: the city kind of went off there a bit sorry about that <laughs> no it's good it's a good that's a so that's a start even though as you say there needs more connections uh, you talked at the start there about the encouragement you got from stakeholders on the project, and I was I was wondering how, generally on projects you work with companies to optimise nature based solutions in their projects, is it option <clears throat> is it usually you leading them to an option or do they drive the conversations? How does it how does that work? That's a
2: great question. i Charlotte's definitely going to have more to talk about this, but I can say from my side, it has to be collaborate like it really has to be. a a complete collaboration. So between, so like just shows you in this, in this, in this block group, we've got like a number of stakeholders here. Um, And each of them, so Kistas being one, um, you know, Polypipe being another, each of them have their own specialists in house, hydrologists, meteorologists, uh, engineers, and you need all of them. And they all need to talk together um, to come up with a solution that actually works. Um, So is actually, really important that you have really good collaborations um and and yeah it, it just has to happen more in the uk but I'll, i know charlotte's probably a little bit more affair with this so i'll i'll hand over
3: well i i think you know to echo echo what john has said it is about collaboration i think the way the way i tend to work because what well, just to contextualize so we have a specification team at polypipe and and our job and our role is to help people to understand the possibilities and the, the suite of, of solutions and services that can be offered in this space. So that could be talking to local authorities, but it could also be talking to large developers, house builders, and then their design teams. So I've got a um, sort of a, a nice array of of people who I talk to about these opportunities on a kind of semi-daily basis. And I would say that you kind of have to think about value in a very different way these days. So sort of traditionally, maybe when I first started sort of 15 years ago and I was just pushing nature-based solutions without the smart. So I I started sort of talking about urban tree pits. That was was where I started life in my career. And again, you have a very small, discrete number of information requirements and a, a smaller number of stakeholders but now you know we 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 deliver projects in a very different way so on any given site you'll have engineers you'll have landscape architects architects and they all conceptualize value in a very different way by this i mean their objectives and the, the duties they wish to discharge on behalf of their clients are, are subtly different and for me the best way to deliver a project is to find that area in the middle that makes a project go from good to great so what what what's going to help all of them to buy into this um, this smart nature based option and for me I take them on the journey from a passive solution to an active solution to a truly smart intuitive solution and that adds that for me adds value along that whole project life cycle from design all the way through to post-implementation. So that's the 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 burden of proof is on me always. Um, when I go in, I say, right, okay, so yes, there's going to be additional capital expenditure. I'm not going to lie to you that adding digital and adding the services that John and I are talking about today, it's not going to be the same as your bog standard option. But my argument is your bog standard option might not give you the long term resilience and might end up costing you more at the later stage of the project. Because, for example, you can see in your urban environment, you've got rain gardens, tree pits, green, blue roofs. They fail and there are multiple points of failure. So with your digital um, services and your optimisation, you are reducing those points of failure and you are de-risking As you go along the project, you are adding value and efficiencies. You're using less potable water. You're adding more benefits. You can also demonstrate your Briam credentials. You can think about your urban greening factors. You can get things through planning much quicker. So there is value there, but it's just changing people's conception of value from purely monetized forms of of value to something more long-term. And I think people are ready for that now. Five years ago, I would have said absolutely not that that wouldn't have been the case. But I think with the new drivers and the fact that we've got Schedule 3 of the Flood and Water Management Act coming in, I think there is much more of an appetite to think about projects in a much more holistic way. So I hope that's answered that kind of question about how we deliver that into the market.
1: Definitely answered the question. And uh, you started at the end there thinking towards the future. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with what's what's going to happen in the future um i've been thinking that most people when they think about nature-based solutions they think of soft engineering but technology is probably going to play an increasing role in this sector what, what kind of advances do you see coming down the pipeline in this area
3: well i mean be- john will obviously from a sort of technology perspective know what's the art of the possible but for me i see it, i see a as i said you know i started talking about cognitive cities earlier i see a world in which if we get our internal processes in, in, in order, so that, that is if local authorities, utility companies and large-scale developers get their um, their data sharing processes and they become more comfortable with security, which is a huge, that's a huge barrier at the moment, is people get very twitchy about sharing data, quite obviously. You know, we have to think about security first. But all, thing, all other things being equal, if we can take those barriers away, I see a world in which... Um, more metrics emerged, and our cities become much more intuitive and that doesn 't mean that humans are taken out out of the equation, but it means that our green assets, our blue assets, and our conventional infrastructure can all talk to each other more effectively because at the moment we can 't really deliver um, the i suppose the results that get that, that increased buy-in. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. We're not putting enough of this tech in to give us the data sets that will make the argument. So we need to do this at scale and we need to prove the concept more so that actually once we start delivering, we can see the results. And for me, nature-based solutions are always... They, the burden is always on, on us as advocates to, to, to really quantify the benefits. And as soon as you, you add the water management element you're you're cooking the gas because there's a there's a tangible benefit there. If I say to you a tree pit can take this much water out of your combined sewer, if I say to you that this sustainable urban drainage system with vegetation is going to give you X, Y, and Z results, that's when developers start to listen. It's when local authorities start putting something other than permeable paving in their public realm and calling it suds. It's it's using technology to to make that case. And and in the future, I think what we will see is that link between conventional civils solutions and sub solutions, and how we can measure that cumulative impact on our on our networks, and we can we can actually see those results. So I don't know. If John's probably got quite a few more additional thoughts about how that might be achieved.
2: That's a really good question about the future. Um, yeah. Well, the problem is. It's, it's an odd one because some of the future, which we hope to have in the UK is already available elsewhere. So it's not really the future. It's just something that we should adapt more rapidly now, which is basically like all the smart optimization around cities and sensors. We need to be better with that full stop. So that needs to, to, to move on quickly. Um, not just for catching up or anything like that. It's just for the fact that we need to be better prepared for the changing climate. So that that is happening regardless, and there's some pretty frightening stats out there. Really, what's going to happen? It's weird. Even in the next 17 years, people think, "Oh, well, it's, it's 2050 when you know it's increasing by two degrees or the seas going up by this." That that's that's 27 years time, people. That's that's no time at all. So, and that that's happening regardless. So worst case or bad case scenario, that is happening. That's happening now, and we will see it changing. We're already seeing it changing. Uh, we can only really now have an impact for maybe the next uh, seventy years, um, and we need to to kind of work really hard to 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 get that cleaned up. Now, I'm not sure if the answer is hydrogen or electric cars or things like that, but it but that's part of the solution. Um, but yeah, we need to be thinking way bigger. So so like, firstly, yeah, sure, the water industry, we need to get that sorted so you know less crack pipes the, the infrastructure needs changing one way or another how, how do we do that um because we are left with a, a really dated infrastructure right now so that that's a big problem for the water utilities they've got leakage everywhere so we are we're wasting drinkable water so that's that's something to be considered um on the other side we we've got water which is we're potentially flooding ourselves with at one moment and then we're short of in the next moment that that just can't happen like the the technology's there um the sensors are there so realistically and and other countries are already doing this we should be doing that so like it it might that that should be a now thing rather than a future thing that should be within the next i don't know 10 years then if we're talking future that and uh, some good news here is you know uh, there's a lot of tanks already across London that could be retrofitted. So there is there is infrastructure already in place. There is a lot of sub systems that potentially could be retrofitted. Uh, and so straight off, potentially now we start mitigating, uh, say, flooding uh, and reducing droughts. So that's that's great. That's something we can do nearly, nearly immediately. Uh, and it is something that we need to keep working on and should always be in the forefront. I guess the bigger picture is where does this, who who looks after this data? Who's in control of this data? Where does that sit? That that's one thing, and I think the government needs to think really carefully about: do we need extra places now, or extra? Who who has the responsibility to look after all this? To be the data stewards effectively for for more and more data. Um, uh, that's an interesting point because you know you've got the Environment Agency whose, whose data is there uh, right now, and and potentially some of the water utilities for their mind uh, would be worried about giving across data to the environment agency because potentially they might get in trouble with some of that data um, so yeah maybe there needs to be another body elsewhere I'm not sure if that's uh, an answer or I'm, I'm just jumping away down a, a rabbit hole here but that that's one thing so the data as i said that that's something that's got to be sorted out in the next couple of years uh, the the once the data is in place then we can start start looking at the bigger optimizations like Holding back water really across a city and what that means. Um, so that's just in terms of water. Um, but yeah, these kind of smart cities or smart, smart UK, I guess, is is coming. And I would suggest that is probably the future. So not just the water industry, but the energy as a whole. How how do we have a far better kind of control on on all our assets and and you know how do we reduce energy loss? How do we make it cleaner? How do we save water? uh you know the just the big questions really so yeah i see that that's where the next 10 20 30 years is going to be to try and reduce our impacts in climate change and 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 in two ways like what is happening to us because of the climate is changing and also how do we stop it getting worse i think those are the two things that we'll be working on for the next 30 years so there you go that's in terms
1: of a broad holistic view of, of where i think we need to be looking that that's that's it yeah very interesting i mean as part of this scale up is uh, there's going to be so can you either of you related to that talk about the interface between technological and physical innovations and how this impacts acceptance of those technologies
3: yeah i think this is one of the big challenges for the future really is because i mean i come from the sort of manufacturing side and you know working with john and working on the the block pilot i've seen that there's what i I like to call a complexity burden here that we have to somehow manage so most people can get it into their heads a basic engineering project so if I say we're going to have this this rooftop system or if if we talk about sort of basic physical implementation of nature-based solutions or civil solutions most practitioners for want of a better word will understand what the installation process is they'll be able to to deliver a scheme. So before we start thinking about the future and everything that John and I've just been talking about project delivery side physical most people get that so we 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 can we can basically talk them through that when you add what I call a cyber physical solution into the market so a smart green blue roof smart tree pits rain gardens everything to make future resilience happen is going to involve what we call smart connected products. They're going to have to be talking to the cloud. There's going to have to be a platform that communicates that data and communication is key to stakeholders. They have to know what's going on in order to buy in. But there is an additional layer of complexity. Where are these sensors placed? How do they talk to each other? How are they connected? How do we reduce the points of failure How do we also deal with the fact that when we manage data there's also a carbon footprint associated with data so we have to think about sustainability across a number of different parameters so for me it's about how us as innovators as solution providers take the complexity away from the client away from the local authority and the water company and we have that suite of solutions and those information requirements ready i don't think at the moment anybody in this space has got all the answers to all the questions so we need to really understand what that complexity is for for all the different stakeholders and and shepherd them through that so to me that's that's challenge number 1 to 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 get that acceptance uplift
1: very interesting all right well we've almost finished but i thought just to conclude we talked a lot about the need for clients and stakeholders to drive this change but we haven't talked about the public and uh, i was wondering what you th- whether you think communities and individuals need to better understand the value of water and and what can engineers do to drive that
2: that's a great i've seen quite a lot on this recently so and i said it so so firstly i'll start from kissing side we see lots of public engagement and it's getting better and better and better some again are more with it like some are more really want to know more and are very proactive about seeing data or understanding it um, and that's a really good thing and like local councils who we work with like they should be on board with that and we help them get on board with that because firstly straight off it can help them speed up to uh, like a, a problem I don't know maybe it's again not to always go back to flooding but like if there's a flooding and they can communicate with the, with their residents far faster that something's happening and the residents are keen and looking at it then you're going to get a far better chance that you if if they've got their own uh, barriers and flood protection schemes that they'll be able to react in time for that flooding. So firstly an engaged community is 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 what you want because they can in some way protect themselves to you know give them that chance. You've got to get the data to them. So that's one. So yeah. Um so that side of public engagement is really important. But the other side is and I've seen a load of things now like smart city games and things like that where you can play where you start plugging in oh what if i've got a thousand showers which you know which is a really great example at the moment because if you get like a, a special shower head it, it produces say the same amount of power as your normal shower but actually reduces the amount of water that it uses apparently like that can have a significant effect if everybody just went on to using these like a huge but like until that was discussed a couple of weeks ago in a conference I had no idea about this shower head and what it could do and and I'm from that sector so I, I've been missing that and that that's basically a small thing that could make a huge difference across <laughs> across the UK um and yeah I just didn't know about it so I think it being spoken about more and places like this is 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 brilliant but yeah it, it, education and doing case studies and ex- explaining to the public how it works and making it information that they can get to easily is is critical for uptake and and from the the public side i i think we're keen for it we're ready we understand that, that you know we've all got phones now we 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 kind of expect that data should be easy and we should be able to get flood warnings fast and we should be able to do stuff uh, immediately through software because uh, we've got phones so i think the public's ready and yet yeah, we just need to explain it clearly what what can be done or from the different providers and i think we'll have a very good and positive result there so yeah they have to be involved and i think oh, uh they're, they're already there and we just need to start getting the information to them so yeah that's 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 me
3: yeah i think this all comes down into you know um the what has been termed the internet of nature as well so how can we connect citizens with their urban green infrastructure and there's a lot done on sort of, you know, people having QR codes and using their phones and apps to engage with their canopy and their tree cover in cities, you know, you can even get an email back from a tree in one Australian city that's sent by the city council. So there's a lot of work that's been done to kind of get people more connected to their to their natural environment. And I think it's difficult in the engineering space because everything that's done and the whole complexity is really underground. So it's an invisible infrastructure that people don't quite appreciate. And I think with the kind of work that KISTERS do and the fact that we can now gather meaningful data and convert that into something that, that generates buy-in is critical because, for example, I don't know necessarily what impact that that green-blue roof is having unless I've got that technology to support that. I know it's doing a good job, it looks great, so you've got the visible buy-in that the you know and when you use nature-based solutions compared to you know deep tanks and deep pipes clearly you get more buy-in because it's a it's a it's a visible thing isn't it if you've got urban trees if you've got biodiverse roofscapes people can appreciate that and you don't almost, you know you don't always have to quantify it but i think in terms of the stakeholder buy-in that's where data technology where platforms and dashboards really come into their own because You can have a secure data set, but then the public can have access to the the really meaningful headlines that will say, you know, look, we've invested in this public realm. These green assets are are delivering this amount of benefit. And that's where the technology comes in, because you can then display. um, I mean, I think of a city. I mean, here's another metaphor that can be quite useful A city is a bit like a virtual ward for your green infrastructure, isn't it? If you connect your green infrastructure, you know whether it's healthy, whether it's sick. You can go in, you can maintain it. So if citizens know that their precious green and blue infrastructure assets are healthy, then they know that things are okay. If if there's technology to help us understand that they're not doing okay that can then help us to preempt any of the things that make citizens very upset. You know, large-scale tree removal, polluted watercourses. These are very emotive things. So we really have to start thinking about this sort of virtual ward and putting our trees and our green-blue assets into that and being able to monitor it. And I think that's the quickest way to get citizen buy-in is to show that we are managing, optimising, but also taking care of those those assets so i hope that kind of gives a bit of
1: a of an overview yeah very interesting well i think you've both given us plenty to chew on today uh and i want to thank you both for joining us for a podcast that seems particularly pertinent after one of the wettest julys on record and in the midst of an August that doesn't seem to be letting up. Um, hopefully, it will help people to understand an alternative approach to managing excess rainwater with all this rain we've had, or at least be open to uh, new, vi- new ways. Uh, and I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again soon on another episode of The
0: Engineers Collective. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Bye.
0: Thank you. The Engineers Collective is powered by Sequent the subsurface software specialists. Around the world, teams are using Plaxis, Open Ground, LeapFrog Works, and GeoStudio to design, build, and operate safe, sustainable, and long-lasting infrastructure, from roads to rail, bridges to tunnels, and buildings, dams, and levees. To find out more, visit sequent.com forward slash civil.